Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. So today we're going to start a new series on Daniel, and we're calling this series Resilient Faith. Have you been following um, where we've been going as a church family? Our desire is that firstly, everyone that's connected with this church would, we're using this word, thrive. What does it mean for you to thrive? That we would equip and encourage one another to be thriving followers of Jesus. So our desire is that you would thrive in every area of your life. And secondly, that together we would multiply thriving communities that what we do here on a Sunday would be multiplied in various different places. We have the life groups, we have other communities that are connected with Coventry Vineyard. So we want those to flourish and thrive, engaging with our neighbours, transforming neighbourhoods, transforming communities, bringing transformation, hope, peace and joy. Is it okay if I turn this speaker down? It's in front of me. That's right. Thank you. So transformation, hope, peace, and joy to whatever area we find ourselves in. And today I want to look at what it means to have a a faithful identity. Okay, so we're looking at resilient faith, but what does it mean to have a faithful identity? What does it mean to be distinctive and persevere in our faith despite circumstances and any crises we might find ourselves in? What does it look like to keep following Jesus whilst living in a culture that's opposed to the kingdom of God. And we're going to be doing this by looking at Daniel chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, you'll probably want to open up to Daniel chapter 1. If you've not got a Bible, there's a whole load on the table just there. Feel free to grab one. The words will come up on the screen. Um, But sometimes it's actually really good to actually use a proper paper Bible. Now, we mentioned this book last week, um, Faith for Exiles, and in the book, Dave Kinnaman and Mark Matlock, they write this, they say, faithful, resilient disciples are handcrafted one life at a time. That there isn't like a a factory production thing, but disciples are handcrafted one life at a time. They say the goal of disciple making is to, and get this, to develop Jesus' followers who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit. And so that's my encouragement for us today. We're going to come back to that statement near the end. And the book of Daniel is unique in the whole library of books that make up the Bible. It's kind of a a snapshot of approximately 75 years of one man's life. In the first half, it's about Daniel and his friends. In the second half, from chapter 7 onwards, Daniel records something of his own experience. And so we, we had that big overview last week of the book of Daniel. The, it kind of moves from a narrative where it talks about he, about Daniel and his friends, to I in the second half, which is from Daniel's own perspective. So chapters 1 to 6, written after events happened, Chapter 7 to 11, before events happen. So it can be quite a difficult thing to try and get your head around. The book of Daniel probably has two or more writers. It's narrative, but it's also something called apocalyptic. 
an apocalyptic, I had it so good earlier, apocalyptic does not mean the end of the world. It means an unveiling, a revealing of something that's hidden. And it's one of the misused words of the Bible. So apocalyptic, we think of something that's catastrophic, something terminal. We think of bleak movies where survivors struggle to survive. We don't think of something that's hidden, like a hidden truth that's being revealed. And parts of Daniel are similar to parts of Ezekiel and parts of the book of Revelation, which are all apocalyptic, where they reveal some hidden truth. So we're going to have fun with that towards the end of this series. But perhaps the main theme of Daniel is that God is in charge of history. It might not seem it at times, but the phrase, the most high rules in the kingdom of men, occurs three times in chapter four. And that would probably be the the main theme running through the book of, of Daniel. So it starts with Daniel aged probably around 15. He's taken out of Jerusalem and he's starting, he's going through his teenage years in a place called Babylon. I don't know about you, but teenage years are probably the most critical years in anyone's life. Years when we determine our own values, when we set standards, probably start thinking about leaving home and actually thinking about actually growing up. Some of us don't make that last bit, but some of us do. It's where we establish our, our settings, those things inside of us which navi- help us navigate the world that we live in. I don't know about you, if you think back to your teenage years, you don't have to share this, but those are the times where we probably make some of our biggest mistakes, where we learn and we go, ah, okay, that's probably not the best choice to make in life. And so Daniel is a teenager, and he's been taken out of his homeland. And teenage years is how we're going to decide to live, how we're going to potentially thrive in life. And the decisions we make as teenagers impact how we respond to those challenges and crises throughout our lives. For those of us who follow Jesus, it's often where we start to build that faithful identity. And for Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, his world is coming off the rails. He's, and for some of us, many of us, life can feel like it's coming off the rails. It can feel overwhelming, disorientating. It feels like there's one thing after another. You maybe have had one bout of sickness, and then there's problems with work, and then there's maybe some relationship breakdown, then there's financial difficulties, and it seems like there's one thing after another. And so there are individual personal challenges that impact what it means to have a faithful identity. But then there are global and societal challenges in the world around us. Things like politics and injustice, war and conflict. And so there might be individual crises going on, but then there's more global international crises, which can, you know, if we're particularly um, addicted to these things, there's a constant stream of one awful thing after another, and it can knock us. So how do we thrive in this moment, the beginning of 2023, what's my encouragement, encouragement to you for you to thrive during this year? How did Daniel thrive? Because he didn't just survive in Babylon, he thrived. He demonstrated resilient faith. 
And it comes out of having a faithful identity in God, which then enabled him to persevere and be distinctive when his world came crashing down around him. So people with resilient faith, I would argue, are prepared for whatever happens next. That whatever happens next, whatever the next crisis is, people with resilient faith, it's not like they just sail through it, but there's this anchor inside of them. There's this firm foundation. It's like, okay, I don't like this. I hate what's going on around me, but this is not going to knock me off my focus on Jesus. This is not going to affect my identity and who God says I am. In the midst of turmoil and challenges, those with resilient faith can thrive. So let's dive into chapter one and see what we can learn from Daniel's life. So right at the beginning, it says this, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered or gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So there's a, quite a lot of backstory. We haven't really got time to go into it. There was one king called Hezekiah, and he had a whole lot of people from Babylon come over, and he was like, hey, come and look at all my treasure. And he kind of showed them all the treasures of, of Jerusalem, all the really fancy gold. And then Isaiah goes to him and goes, what, who are those people? He says, are there people from Babylon? What did you show them? Everything. Okay, they're probably going to be back at some point. This is them coming back. There's a whole lot of other things. There's Josiah, who was a really, really good king. And he kind of refound the law and he stood up and, and uh, brought the country of Israel and Judah back together again and, and back to the law. And then he kind of got into a conflict, which he didn't re- really need to get into, involved with, between Egypt and Babylon. And then on the way back, Babylon went, yeah, we're going to go and have a go at him. So there's lots of backstory here that we're not going to go into. I've probably said too much. But if you want to look about it, 2 Kings 24 and 2 Chronicles 36. But bottom line is, under the reign of Jehoiakim, idolatry and immorality were staining God's people. And God had warned them again and again and again, saying, if you go on like this, you're going to have to be taken out. You're going to have to leave this land. This is my land. This is the holy land. You can't live like this in this city. If you go on like this, I'll take you to a land far away. It'll be bottom step time for a long, long time. So God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. He took with him the gold vessels of the temple, which we'll come back to later in the story of Daniel. But he also took some human vessels. He took some young men. He took the highest sort of elite of Jerusalem, left the poorest of the poor in Jerusalem, but took the top of society with him. Little did he know that in taking these human vessels out of Jerusalem into Babylon, that God was coming to Babylon. Verse 3 says, so here's Babylon. Interestingly, there was a bus that went past me the other day with Babylon written across the side. And I was thinking, what on earth is that? And I completely missed it. There's a movie with Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie called Babylon. 
I haven't watched it. I don't recommend watching it. Because <laughs> I looked on the Wikipedia page of what it's about, and it doesn't look like a particularly pleasant film. But one reviewer said, this film Babylon is all about identity and assimilation. I thought, ooh. And that's what Babylon was all about. Babylon was all about taking people and assimilating other cultures into their culture. So verse 3 says, The king ordered Ashpenaz, which is a great name, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So the top of the top. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So what's happening here? This is a critical moment in Daniel's life. Remember, he's a teenager, but this is key to understanding Daniel. Babylon has conquered Judah and taken Jerusalem captives. If they take out the young leaders and then bring them up in their culture, then their culture will expand and be richer. Anybody here like, ever watched like the Star Trek or anything? Okay, not many of you. Okay. In Star Trek, Next Generation, there's these baddies called the Borg. And they fly around space in this giant cube, and it's enormous. And what they're doing is they're going around absorbing all the technical and scientific achievements of all the other cultures. And their standard line is, you will be assimilated. And so this is similar to what Babylon is like. They're taking all these other cultures and taking the best and brightest and forming them into their imaging. They're changing the settings of people's lives, changing the identity, going into the very kind of cultural code of people's lives and assimilating them into Babylonian culture. That's what's happening to Daniel and his friends. So verse 5 says, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Okay, so they're being assimilated into this culture. They're having their settings re-changed. On my phone, I've got a little bit which says settings. Maybe you've got a computer, you've got another thing with settings. Um, maybe in your car, you've got settings on your TV. Everything we have technologically has settings. And you can go in there and you can mess with them and have it just how you want it. Or if you're a teenager, you can go into your parents' car and change the audio settings so it's just how you want it. And then when your dad is driving, it's like, no, that's not how I want it. I want to set it to my settings. Just a little bit of a background there into my life. Um, but that's our own little kingdoms. If you start to mess with people's settings, it can really knock you off. This is what Babylon are doing. They're, they're changing the settings in people's lives. So among those who were chosen were some from Judah. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, we don't hear about those names very much. We hear about the other names. So the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Okay, they're changing their names. 
See, Nebuchadnezzar is really, really clever, really intelligent. He realized that these young men's names would remind them of home. Not only that, these names would remind them of the God that they worshipped. They must have had godly parents who loved God. There are two names for God in Israel. El, E-L, and you see that twice, Daniel and Mishael, and Yahweh, or Yah. And you have that at the end of Hananiah and Azariah. So Ah and El are both in their names. Each of these boys had the name or title of God in their name. So Nebuchadnezzar has to get rid of even their, that trace of their God to change the settings, to change their names. And into each of their new names, he puts one of their pagan gods from Babylon. So Daniel means God is my judge, and he becomes Belteshazzar, which means Baal protect his life. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious, and Shadrach is by command of Aku, the moon, the moon god. Mishael is who is like God, becomes Meshach, who is like Aku, another, another one of these uh, gods of Babylon. Azariah, Yahweh is my helper, becomes Abednego, servant of Nego or Nebo, which is another one of these gods. So it seems quite crucial right at the beginning to go, this is what's happening to these young men's lives. They're having their very identity challenged. So what's Daniel going to do? So if you know the story, this is key to Daniel. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. There's something that Daniel can do. And he resolves not to eat the food that he's been put in front of him. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And we might think, well, wait a minute, Daniel, why don't you just eat the food? Why are you being so, like, out of order? Just eat the food. It's probably really nice. It's probably really tasty. probably some of the best food you're ever going to have. It seems pretty insignificant. But Daniel here is drawing a line. His, this, his faith, his identity is being challenged. He's like, no, I'm going to make a stand, and I'm going to start with the food that I'm being forced to eat. So verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, which isn't necessarily a say this is what you should eat all the time. Um, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Bit of a controlled test. It's like, see how we get on for 10 days. So it might seem a little bit petty, but there's something crucial going on here. One scholar says this, it is not so much something in the food that defiles as much as it is this total program of assimilation. At this point, the Babylonian government is exercising control over every aspect of their lives. 
They have little means to resist the forces of assimilation that are controlling them. They seize on one of the few areas where they can still exercise choice as an opportunity to preserve their distinct identity. Daniel and his friends think there's something more going on with this. If we can just make this small step, we can hold on to something of our God-given identity. It might seem just like a small step, but it's similar to what Eugene Peterson, actually quoting the, the atheist Nietzsche, describes as a long obedience in the same direction. This one little step after another, and that's really what following Jesus is all about. It's not these huge steps, it's one step after another. This is what being a disciple is all about. It's being obedient in the little things. This is how you become who God calls you to be. It's the little steps, the day-by-day little steps that helps you to be faithful to the identity that God, who is also faithful, has given you. So just pressing into this, are you generous with the money you have now? Is that a little step? Are you generous with the money? How do you respond to things like authority now? How do you serve other people now? How do you use your Facebook account? How do you speak about others? How do you respond to those who you disagree with? How do you deal with, with conflict? How do you process disappointment? What are those small day-by-day challenges? How do you respond to those things? The question is, why would God trust you with more if you can't be obedient with what you have now? And that's a really challenging thing to say. If you want more from God, then be obedient in the small things. It's actually that simple, but it's also that challenging. And so these young men, they stood out. These are the kind of people that we want in our country in corridors of power. They have faithful identity and godly integrity. So what does all this mean for us? Well, back to our quote at the beginning. In Faith for Exiles, Kinnaman and Matlock and the others, they they write this, faithful, resilient disciples are handcrafted one life at a time. The goal of disciple-making is to develop Jesus' followers who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the Spirit. Now, as we mentioned last week, in that book, Faith for Exiles, which is um, put together by the Barna Group, they adopted a a phrase to describe the culture that we live in, one that's marked by phenomenal access, where you can get anything, anytime, profound alienation, and things like institutions and traditions that give structure and meaning to our lives, and a crisis of authority, which is often seen with suspicion. And so they call this digital Babylon. And it's not a physical place. It's what they call the pagan but spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that is the virtual home of every person with access to the internet. Anyone with a screen. 
anyone with something like this. So the thing about screens is they disciple us. And I mean, mine, look, mine looks really nice and colorful. If you look at Vicky's one, she's got rid of, she's bled out all the colors, which you can do like that. Just press it three times. It looks horrible because that says, look at me. I'm entertaining. I've got so much to offer. But that is like, oh, that just feels like work. It feels really rubbish. And it's really difficult to access things. But screens disciple us. Screens demand our attention. See, the power of digital tools and the content they deliver are incredible and are really helpful. And we are the first generation of humans who cannot rely on what other tra traditions and people would call elders. See, in many, many cultures, if you want to know something, you go to the elders of the community. In our culture, we go to these. If we want anything, we just go to this. Instead of older adults and traditions, many young people will turn to friends and algorithms. We turn to our devices to help us make sense of the world. We use the screens in our pockets as counselors, entertainers, instructors, educators. And so how do we stay faithful? How do we stay faithfully resilient to Jesus in this culture? How do we develop Jesus' followers? How do we thrive? I would say that to form a resilient identity, a faithful identity, we need to experience intimacy with Jesus. And it's something that Daniel understood. If you think about the books that Daniel had available to him, he had the Torah, which is like the first five books of the Bible, and probably most of the Psalms. He didn't have everything else. But there was enough there for him to go, this is my identity, this is who I am. Who, who I am. So in verse 15, it says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the others. Uh, don't worry, I'll... Um, that way. There you go. There you go. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. God gave them favor. Then right at the end, this little sentence, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is kind of the skip to the end. This is four kings and two kingdoms later. Daniel is still there, faithfully resilient. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, what's interesting is this first chapter is all written in Hebrew, and it's kind of a bit of code to the Hebrew people, because the next four or five, five um, chapters is all in Aramaic, which other people would have spoken. 
And so this is kind of like Hebrew people get this. This is what's going on. This is what's going on in terms of Daniel. So, can we go for the last slide with the three tiered things? I've tried to make a ziggurat. So, in, in Babylon, there was like a big tower, ziggurat, Tower of Babel. May have looked a little bit like this, but lots of other layers. I want to end with this. If you want to kind of resist digital Babylon, if you want to be faithful in your identity, let God mess with your settings. Allow him to change the settings of your life. He will change them to kind of factory settings, default settings, the ones that you're supposed to be living life with. It's really called living in the kingdom of God. And the way we do that, first and foremost, this is what Daniel did, is engage in spiritual activities that develop joy. It's that deep-scented sense of peace inside of us. That all the crises, all the chaos around us, it won't knock that foundation. And it's not legalism. It's just saying, these are the things which help me to be a follower of Jesus. So what are the spiritual activities that will develop joy in following Jesus? It's things like connecting with your church family. It's turning up on a Sunday which you've all done, so well done. And if you're listening on a podcast, we missed you. It's things like reading this. I find that the more I read the Bible, the easier it is to follow Jesus. I find the more I read the Bible, the more I fall in love with God. I don't always understand him, and some of the stuff in here is really challenging. But the more I read this the more I understand about how Jesus is God and how Jesus brings his kingdom into my life and transforms my settings. It's things like prayer. It's committing to a rhythm of hearing from God, of knowing his voice. It's that one step after another. And then secondly, to experience the real Jesus together. Nadine said uh, earlier, just if you're in that point where you're just wanting to recommit or wanting to commit for the first time, do you know who you're committing to? Are you committing to the real Jesus? Because sometimes in church world, we offer almost like a brand Jesus. And the danger for us as followers of Jesus is that we can have our own little Christian ghetto where everything is Christian. You have your Christian plumber, your Christian driving instructor, only listen to Christian music, only read Christian books, only eat Christian food, schler, drinks, that sort of thing. Only do Christian stuff all the time and isolate yourself from culture or you get completely assimilated to the culture around you. And so what Daniel does is there's that resistance, but he's in culture, but he's not assimilated into culture. I've experienced the real Jesus together. That's not just an individual, isolated faith. That there's this relational pathway with family and friends and other people who love and experience Jesus, where we're loved into loving Jesus, where we re-establish the role of elders 
in our community. And I'm starting to become one. And that's really scary. But if you're a teenager in this church, if you're a young person, who are the people that have shown faithful resilience for years and years and years? Who are the people like, I want to be more like that person? For me, one of those persons is at the back over there, probably praying over us, uh, called Chris Darlington. I think a lot of us would want to be, sorry to embarrass you if I have, (laughs) but who are the people that you want to be like? Who are the people that you're in this together with? And then the third thing, expect transformation. And expect transformation as your settings are changed. That the culture is not changing your settings, but actually the kingdom of God and your relationship with Jesus starts to change the settings in your life. See, following Jesus means finding ultimate answers to the questions of identity and finding those in the person and work of Jesus. It's through Jesus that we experience the work of the Father and the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's where we find identity. Those questions of who do you say I am? Those questions of who am I really? How should I live? Does my life matter? Who are my friends? Can I make a difference? See, for Daniel, what I think stood him in good stead all through his life was that habit of... um, reciting the thing called the Shema. So in Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, Shema means hear. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's where he got his faithful identity. That he knew who he was, and he knew who God was. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. We're saying thrive. Have life, have it to the full. In John 8, 36, Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so my encouragement to you at the beginning of this whole series is where is your identity? Are you in danger of being assimilated into the culture around you? What small but significant step or stand can you make against culture around you that makes you still in culture but not completely a part of it? So to finish off, one little quote from Faith for Exiles says this, Daniel and his peers, instead of ingratiating themselves into the indoctrinating systems of their captors, waited on God listened for his voice, and became a conduit to express his power. Throughout the story of Daniel, we read about young exiles who allowed their habits of devotion to God to define them. And those habits made all the difference to their resilience. That's what I want for us, for this community. Thanks for tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.